Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, it's Perry Clark back with you today and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I want to remind everyone that this podcast is for entertainment and education purposes. This does not count as a mental health session. I strongly recommend you seek mental health professional in your area to work on your unique issues. So for today, and you're probably going to be noticing in several of the uh, recordings that come out around this time, I had the chance to go to San Diego Comic-Con, which is kind of a mecca for many of us that are the geeks. And uh, it was kind of also one of those items on my bucket list. And I got the fortune of presenting uh, also while I was there. And one of our guests today is one of the panelists I was with on our panels at Comic-Con. And we were talking about neurodiversity and LGBT and supporting supporting individuals with that. And today's guest is one of two because uh, one of the other panelists also has produced some material that you can easily find out there on the uh, servers and the services. And we're going to be talking today with Chance Caldwell. Chance is a singer, songwriter, producer of all trades, and an award-winning director. He is the author of several novels, including the superhero epic Peculiar Incorporated and the Neverland novella Lost. He created and served as the show's runner, a showrunner, for Pretty Dudes, a digital series about Zario, a single gay man whose straight friends won't stay out of his romantic life. Chance is a firm believer not only in quality inclusion and the importance of representation in media, but also in creating quality in entertainment across all platforms. As a filmmaker, Chance focuses on telling wide-reaching visual stories that can change the way people see themselves and the world around them. In 2018, Chance launched the streaming platform Stupid Ambitious, a hub for innovation, inclusion indie work, works by talented filmmakers with voices overdue for amplification. Chance, welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Not a problem. So, as always, how did you get here? How did I get here? Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> um, it's funny. I think um, I really got into storytelling uh, on the filmmaker side when I was in middle school and I heard that they were making um, a, a Batman 5 movie and that mm-hmm. they, they had some ideas for it. And my you know, little 12-year-old self bought a bunch of screenwriting books and actually wrote a full-length screenplay for my version of a Batman 5 sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was actually pretty cool. I got to talk to people at Warner Brothers. Um, there are reasons that that didn't go forward. You can probably guess most of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it really kind of sparked my passion because um, I think uh, it wasn't until I was, you know, talking, like, in communication with Warner Brothers that people started taking me seriously. Like, oh, Chance, uh, he does what, when he sets out to do something, he actually does it. Um, I put it on the back burner because... Like most people, I decided to become a fully functioning adult in American society uh, the way I thought I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, did that for several years um, and realized that my passion was still uh, in telling stories, especially visual stories. So I moved to L.A. Um, almost 10 years ago. Uh, in November, it will be 10 years. 
and I started filmmaking. And I think that's how I got here. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And so we were on the panel at Comic-Con talking about neurodiversity and LGBT support. And in watching, because I bought the first season of Pretty Dudes, which is the drama you've got on uh, Amazon Prime. And I ended up watching that way later than I had expected to, just to see how the story was going to end (laughs) and what was going to happen with Zario. And I also have my personal pick of who he should have ended up with. (laughs) um, As opposed to what happened in the story, which I'm not going to spoiler for that. Uh, But I do have some questions about that. But I very much enjoyed watching to see how that story, how where we were going to get within that story. Thank you. Yeah, that I was really passionate about about Pretty Dudes. And uh, I, I'm actually glad that a lot of the viewers have been as invested as they have been, because when I made it, um, it was kind of a, a cathartic experience for me at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I was getting over uh, some personal trauma that happened. Uh, and I wanted to kind of just make something fun and bright. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it didn't stay completely bright. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's nuance, there's some darkness to the storyline. But um, I'm really glad that once we put it out there that our viewers have been responding very positively to, positively to it. We would already have season two out if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Right. You know, how those things go. <laughs> so, well, the pandemic has affected so many things. Now, I know as I was reading your bio, I, we briefly talked about what, talked a bit about Pretty Dudes, but what is Pretty Dudes in your so we say elevator pitch got longer than 30 seconds here. <laughs> yes. Basically uh, pretty dudes is a show about um, a gay man with a bunch of straight friends who is unlucky in love. And so his friends decide that they can get him a man better than he can. So they have a, they have a going bet with each other to see who's going to find him like the perfect new romantic partner. Um, and of course it goes <laughs> upside down and sideways and backwards. And it doesn't really go the way that anyone has, has planned. Uh, but yeah, it's my it's my uh, my sitcom, uh, my my version of all the shows I used to love watching growing up, like you know Living Single and Golden Girls. But I mm-hmm. just took a nice uh, queer spin on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as I was watching that, I was like, I'm feeling like I'm watching Golden Girls, or 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 a bit <laughs> of Living Single as an example, another example of it, and that classic. Um, I don't know if, it, if we want to call it straight trope of like, oh, I can set them up with the their new girlfriend and so forth. And in this case, what does it happen when it's a gay man that's dealing with it? Right. Right. And I, and I, and I thought that was also um, a unique aspect because even with a lot of independent uh, shows and films surrounding like gay existence, it's mostly a group of gay friends, which mm-hmm. is, which is wonderful. I, I love shows like that. I, I love Noah's Ark. I watched that um, growing up, but my personal experience growing up in a small town in Georgia and then serving a couple of years in the military. And then I lived a couple of years in Alaska. So I essentially was always in environments where if there were other queer people around, they were closeted and I probably didn't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so most of my friends are straight. And so I decided to write something from my experience, which I think kind of gave it the, a, a more unique perspective. Um, and I, I remember, I remember uh, when, it first, when the first episode dropped, I was getting a little pushback from some of the gay viewers because they were just kind of like, this isn't realistic. How come all of his friends are straight? I said, well, that's all of my friends are straight. So just keep watching. <laughs> yeah. Which, and I think that's also gets into an interesting, not just from what you're talking about with the experience, but I think that too gets into the aspect because one of the tones that I also pick up for, for Zario in this is that 
He's also looking at the wounds that he's had from other gay people. Yes. Yes. I thought that was really important to touch on because, um, again, through my experience, there were very few gay people in my life, like in my social life. And usually the encounters were negative because one of us at the time was closeted for, you know, for the first couple of years, it was me. And then, you know, for the, for the later years, it was someone else. And it wasn't until I moved to LA that I actually started having healthy relationships with other queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you kind of feel, you feel like you're pitted against each other for various reasons, or you don't really understand, you know, the cultural aspects of being queer. And I feel like uh, Zario in the show was a way for me to kind of exercise some of the damage that I felt was inflicted on me because of, I wouldn't say because of other queer people. It's honestly the, the, the lifestyle of having to live closeted mm-hmm. that really harmed me. And I think a lot of other people that, uh, that I knew before, <laughs> before we could all be out and proud and happy. Mm-hmm. Well, and that becomes a very key point because if he's going to have a relationship, he's having a relationship with another gay person and where has that essentially wound and damage affected the ability for him to connect and have that relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would find myself um, getting upset over little things like, I don't really, maybe I shouldn't say they're little things, but things that no longer bother me now. Like I, I wouldn't let someone call me girl because mm-hmm. I thought that they were diminishing my existence. Not because I thought that women were less than, but mm-hmm. because I understand that society cheats women like they're less than. Mm-hmm. So me being queer, it's like, oh, so you're also less than. So I would not allow anyone to call me that. And, you know, that's one of those things that happens when you're not a part of a, of a gay community. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't understand, like, how that can be empowering or how that can show love and affection. For me, it was an insult. Don't call me. Don't call me girl. I'm not your girl. I would have have arguments with people. And I, and I feel like for Zario, there was a lot of that too, because I don't think he had a lot of healthy relationships um, with other, with the gay men in his past. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of his, some of his situations were of course fictionalized, but um, in a different way than people expect, people always think, Oh, you know, he kind of like, he probably hyped that up. Like, no, I actually toned it down. The reality of it was a lot more ridiculous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think there's, Yeah, there's many other points where I think for many of us, depending on our experiences, we can see ourselves in some of those things, even though, like you said, you toned them down, some have gotten hyped up. Yeah, yeah. There are various moments where we can see ourselves in that. I think that's also important because I I love it when I can watch something and see myself reflected back, especially Mm -hmm. especially if, uh, if it's something about like, the existence of mine that's been historically marginalized, you know, if it's something about, you know, just something, something just really rich in culture, you know, like the way, um, the way that so many black parents don't apologize. Instead, mm-hmm. they say, come on in here and get this food, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you, you know, that that's an apology, you know, but that's, that's like a black culture thing, you know, and then there's also things, you know, like in, in gay culture and in queer culture that when I see it, when I see it on screen, it's like, Oh no, I, look, that's me. Like, I love that. I love that that is being shown. And mm-hmm. I was grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that in my show. Which I think you also touch on a very interesting part and question, especially I like to ask is what was that nature with your family and the aspect of you being creative? Because I mean, there's that again, cultural stigma about, Oh yeah, you're never going to have money <laughs> or any of these other things, or you need to quash that. And like you said, 
all the things that we have to do to just sort of live in this world and so forth. So right. what was that kind of relationship like, especially since you said you at age 12, you got all these screenwriting books is like most parents, <laughs> most black parents probably wouldn't be doing that. Right. So right. What's, well, what's you know, that all? They knew that I was creative and it was a, it was fun stories to tell on the phone. You know um, I think, they were kind of taken aback when the whole uh, the Batman thing happened and it went as far as it did. Um, mm. But then, you know, due to the heartbreak of that, my, my young mind couldn't quite compute that things don't always happen. You know, you're not always going to have the happy ending on the first try. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually took a step back from writing for a while. Um, and the only, my only creative avenue, uh, like through my high school years, was, uh, was music and theater, which my parents were pretty supportive of because I'm a, I'm a really good singer. My dad really didn't like the theater aspect of it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, he's a black father. He didn't, he doesn't watch musicals, you know, that just wasn't his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was never, by the time I was reaching graduation, I wasn't outwardly serious about pursuing anything creative as a career. So we didn't really have to have any kind of talks or, you know, they weren't worried about me, uh, mm-hmm. which is funny because, they should have been because <laughs> trying to suppress all of that actually just made things worse for me in the long run. Um, and, and now that I am a creative, uh, I don't, really, I don't really talk to my parents anymore because once I came out, we got very estranged. I came out when I was in my, uh, my, uh, like early to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't, I don't speak with them at all anymore. So now that I'm successfully creative, I don't know how they feel about it, but uh, I've, some part of me hopes that they're proud. Some part of me doesn't care. <laughs> you know, it's 50-50 depending on the day. And what they have been open to actually growing and changing. And that's something that also, I think, comes through in Pretty Dudes in the standpoint of the idea of found family. Yes. Yes. I, I feel like if you have a wonderful found family around you, then it matters less what your real family thinks about you. You know, mm-hmm. thankfully, I have, you know, some great sisters uh, in my life. But um, if it wasn't for, for my male friends who are basically stood in the gap for me, you know, mm-hmm. by, you know me not, not having a great relationship with my parents, um, I don't think I would still be here. You know, mm-hmm. my best friend Tanner, he's the one that taught me how to drive. You know, I have my friend Dylan, who if, there, if someone's bothering me, he's going to hop on a plane and come out here and try to fight them. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I have the characters in Pretty Dudes, of course, are, are based on um, their uh, amalgamations of, of the friends that I have in my life. And they mm-hmm. are some amazing people who make sure that I know that I'm loved and appreciated. And they're the reason why I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very lovely. And, and, and as a therapist watching that, amusing in all those areas but also it's like i'm watching particular one character and it's like okay i can't help it but i'm starting to psychoanalyze (laughs) (laughs) okay maybe not psychoanalyze but it's like okay i'm already starting to get this root of where if we were sitting in therapy where we need to work yes yes you know what's funny is i think writing writing that season i mean it was we did 19 episodes and two short films for the first season um and I think it was kind of cathartic for me in lieu of therapy. And that, mm-hmm. then the production of the show actually sent me to therapy. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, oh, this is what's been going on. This is why I was, you know, I was writing these kind of characters in this kind of way. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, 
there's a lot of me in, in many of the characters, actually. I, I, I think I'm probably more similar to the character of Eagle than I am Cesario, but Cesario mm-hmm. has my problems, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then but- Ellington is based on one of my brothers, you know? So there's a lot of that going on, but I, I realized, oh yeah, I have some things I need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Eagle was, Eagle was a, uh, an amusing character to watch, and especially that one being from a woman's standpoint. Yes, that also probably tells you a lot about me that I <laughs> I buried my personality in uh, in one of the female characters. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I have this reputation of uh, I'm very I'm very positive, I'm very optimistic. Um, but I'm also the guy that shows up, and we're going to start the party. You know, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's me, and that's definitely Eagle. She shows up. You know, she always has like a bottle in her hand. Like, let's go, let's have some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be that can be beneficial in a group environment, but there are moments where it's kind of like, okay, what are, are, are what are you trying to avoid by burying everything in in events and mm-hmm. in particulars like that? So mm-hmm. and the alcohol and such, yeah. and the alcohol, exactly, exactly, because <laughs> she they're, they're, they might just be having a normal day, and there she is with the uh, with the bottle in her hand. Everyone just has to, and some of that I think does come from my military background, which is why I gave Eagle a, a military husband. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, that's a lot of the military lifestyle is is drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't drink until uh, until I was right before my twenty first birthday. I didn't wait all the way, but it just wasn't something that interested me. But I joined the military when I was nineteen, and that was like the main push of everyone all the time. Is like, you know, Chance, are you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? Why? I'm like, I don't need to drink. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll just be everybody's DD. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just get, you know, it's just the culture. I don't, I don't, I don't really promote or support the military culture, even though I'm a veteran, just because I know what, what he did to me and what he did to a lot of other people. Um, for me, I served during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So it was very traumatic for me and, and what I had to deal with. Um, but I see a lot of other friends, uh, some who are no longer with us now, who struggled with a lot of things that were exacerbated by just that military culture. Right. Which kind of also shows up in Eagle's story as well. Um, yeah, because and I know I was watching that once that scene where uh, Eagle and Jay are sort of in their fitness champ uh, challenge and so forth. I'm sort of watching this and it's like you do realize she was in the military. Right. Your baiting is any is really going to reach her after being in this place with how many different dudes who are who are straight dudes who are caught up on their bro, right, right, and that tells you a lot about Jay's personality too because he. he he still thought he was going to, he was going to win, that he was going to beat her. Mm. Um, you know, he just, he had that ego about himself, which uh, I find charming, but I know, I know it's toxic in its own way. <laughs> yeah. That was the character I was really thinking. He's like, okay, I can see where we need to start working on some things and <laughs> ask some other questions about some stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jay's one of those characters that came out like fully formed when I was mm-hmm. writing uh, the script. I knew who Jay was. I knew who Eagle was. Um, I knew who Zarya was. Everyone else kind of uh, evolved after casting, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. Like um, uh, Yoshi Sadarsa, who plays Sunji, he, he brought that wonderful, like, Rose Nyland, uh, Sinclair James, like that ditzy energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, think, I think what he told me was like, you need to have a Joey. And I don't watch Friends, but I got right. the reference. I was like, okay, I get it. I need to have, I need to have a goofy one. Let's, let's do it. I love it. <laughs> which... Uh, 
And I, and I'll freely admit, I wasn't particularly watching him on Power Rangers when he did his <laughs> turn. So I don't know if he was playing that type of character there either. <laughs> he, I think he was playing a, a caveman on Power Rangers. It's really funny. He filmed Power Rangers um, before he did Pretty Dudes. And I don't think uh, it started airing until after we had finished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it was pretty surreal to me because now <laughs> when I go visit my friends and they introduce me to the kids, it's always... Oh, this is Chance. You know, he's he's friends with uh with that Power Ranger, and you know, they'll say the character's name. I'm like, but also, I'm your friend. Isn't that more important? They're like, that's the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for oh, so much. And that to get to another aspect, looking at the show, your show is so very much POC centered. Yes. With the especially the joke of uh, of Alexander's character being the only white guy in the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that almost didn't happen. Um, yeah, I, I definitely wanted a multicultural cast because uh, again, it just it fit my my background. I grew up in a port city in Georgia, mm-hmm. so um, a lot of my friends, you know, we were just across, we were just from every every kind of background. Um, but when I was casting, I had certain ideas of what I wanted. Um, you know, certain characters, backgrounds to be, but I was still open to pretty much everything and anything. Um, and with, uh, with Alexander, the actor that we cast, Kyle, he came in and he was just the best guy for the job. And it's funny because originally Alexander's character was going to narrate the entire series. Mm. Um, but once we cast, you know, a white actor in that role, I, I didn't want hi, uh, my name is Alexander and these are my friends of color. You know, I just thought like that would just have the wrong tone. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be from the white gaze. So that's when mm-hmm. we decided to split up the narration between all the characters. Which was um, a nice, nice one too. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Those happy accidents, right? Um, it wouldn't have happened that way originally if, if we had gone the route that I was planning on going. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I like the way it turned out. But yeah, for me, it was really important that we have a multicultural cast and at the time, I was a member of an arts collective called We Own the Eighth that was started mm-hmm. by um, actors uh, Dante Bosco, poet Abosia, and a musician um, A.J. Raphael. And they uh, basically, was, it was an Asian American arts collective, uh, mm-hmm. AAPI arts collective. And um, I, was, I was just there to support. But because of my reputation in the arts collective, so many Asian actors came out and read for, <laughs> for the show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the point that um, I remember. Um, I remember a producer who was talking to me about a different project was looking at the trailer for Pretty Dudes and he said, so is this an Asian show? (laughs) I said, no, it's just a show with a lot of Asians in it. Um, And I think that that should challenge the norm because so often Mm -hmm. our default setting is white Mm -hmm. and and I don't have that default setting. (laughs) I, I reject that default setting. And very much so. And I think that's, again, because, now, I may end up airing these in different orders, but I was also just talking to Robert about Demon Hunters and yeah. what was uh, going on in that show. And there's also that similarities that both of you have, in some ways, a similar diversity of the cast and the focus of that. Um, and just, again, how that brings a very different tone to the storyline, which is possibly also why I was like, oh, yeah, I need to see how this actually ends, <laughs> uh, staying up later than I wanted to. Um and segueing also is that aspect of the fact that you had Donnie Basco in here for some of us that are other geeks. This is, he was playing, I think, Rufio in Hook, in Hook as yes. well as did the voice of Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender, too. Yes, yes. 
and it and I know there's a reference in there where someone's wearing one of his shirts from <laughs> book, but I admit that it when I was watching the end credits, it's like, wait a minute, that was I didn't recognize him with facial hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well actually, um actually um I think okay, we're talking about on screen. So that was uh, that was Dion, that was Dante's brother. Ah, gotcha. Yes. So so you're just not seems... recognizing him. <laughs> okay, yeah. that that makes way more sense. But I can see the family the resemblance, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I buried a lot of Easter eggs about Dante and Rufio specifically because uh, Dante is one of the main reasons I moved to LA. Um, he was working on a movie project uh, when I lived in Alaska that mm-hmm. I actually was producing and mm-hmm. it led me to, to outgroup myself and come here. So yeah, shout out to him. <laughs> and beautiful. And I think also, again, the actors you picked to play the various uh, characters that were of API were also very nice on the eyes too. <laughs> right? Yeah, we have we have such a gorgeous cast. It's funny because I I didn't have any kind of particulars when we were casting. I mean, of course the mm-hmm. show's called Pretty Dudes, but my my frame of reference was that everybody's pretty to somebody. Mm-hmm. But the people that we had coming in the audition room, like, well, these people I think are pretty to everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just had a beautiful cast and they have beautiful spirits as well. Um, so it was so great to work with them. And and what I loved you know, if we're talking about the like the multiculturalism of the cast, is that we would rework lines, we would rework scenes, you know, just to make sure there was some authenticity to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very receptive to any ideas that they had, and and I love that they came with their ideas, and I think that also makes it makes it more realistic when you're watching it because these are how these people from these very different backgrounds would interact together, and that mm-hmm. makes it even easier to believe that they would actually be friends. <laughs> <laughs> or frenemies in the case of some of the characters <laughs> right 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 um yeah and i've now actually lost the train of thought of the question i was going to ask you which was still related to the guys that were picked in this um i'm sure it'll come back to me oh now I remember what it was because it goes to the also the present presentation that you have in there about asl that was beautifully done and such a consistent theme across several episodes too thank you um dickie hearts um is this amazing uh, deaf actor uh a queer deaf actor who actually met at our day jobs <laughs> we worked together in santa monica when i was first developing pretty dudes mm-hmm. um and and once i found out he was an actor uh you know, i just i always bookmark those kind of things and the actor who played zario uh, brian michael nunez he had a list of languages on the back of his, uh, uh, you know, and I was just looking, I'm like, wait, okay, I see ASL, I saw, you know, the Spanish, there was uh, English, there were a couple other languages I don't remember now. And, and then I thought about Dickie, I said, let's make this happen. Um, and Dickie actually was supposed to be in more episodes, but mm-hmm. he's very in demand. He's on, <laughs> he's on Netflix all the time. So um, we actually, he was supposed to be in the finale episode. We had to unfortunately write his character out. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I feel like if you're truly about representation and, 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 and that's how I am, you, you will reach out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And, and it was something that like working with Dickie, originally I thought, oh, this is going to be really simple. But then I didn't realize, oh, we need to have translators on set. And, you know, we have to make sure, you know, again, the authentic- authenticity of these scenes are correct. So Dickie and mm-hmm. I would, you know, meet and we'd workshop the scenes together. Then we'd rehearse with, uh, 
with Ryan and with uh, Caesar, who also does, um, you know, science and ASL during the show. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I was just like, oh, I see now why these bigger companies just don't do it because mm-hmm. they probably look at it as a hassle and it's easier just to, you know, mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. go the easier route. But I was just really passionate about it. And I, it's one of the things about the first season that I still like absolutely adore is, is uh, the representation for Dickie's character. And I, I wanted to expand on that more. I'm, I'm really looking forward to more of my projects involving people with disabilities because uh, they also deserve to be mm-hmm. able to have themselves reflected that. Well, I'll just, I'm not giving any spoilers away here, folks, but personally, I think he should have ended up with Dickie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that that would have been that's like that was the better character for him, at least from my perspective of things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, yep. <laughs> so it's nice to know that was probably the original intention before, again, Absolutely. as life gets in the way of changing the swords. Exactly. You know, when you're when you're indie creator, you have to you have to ebb and flow, <laughs> and we did a lot of ebbing and flowing, especially as we neared the end of the season. Um, mm-hmm. It was getting more and more difficult to. Uh, to to to, uh, to to land the plane the way we wanted to land it, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I which I think it probably is going to be what gives uh, more to both the movies and the second season for what's going in there, which again brings very much back to that aspect of the wounds, the relationship elements that are at play here for Zario and the other characters as well. So, but I think that is a perfect place for us to take a break. So we're gonna continue talking about more of this and maybe we'll get back into our our panel at comic-con in the second half so stay tuned folks this is perry clark licensed marriage and family therapist here with chance caldwell actor creator and all-around amusing guy so we'll be back shortly Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit UntangleAndGrowCounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our second half here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. And this is Perry Clark with Licensed Parents and Family Therapist. And I have to correct an omission because I've been screwing up Chance's last name. It's Calloway. And again, Calloway, which is also kind of annoying because I'm also a critter and one of the characters presently played on Campaign 3. The last name is Calloway as well. So it's like, oh, fuck. Mm. <laughs> I, I, the easy way to remember it is uh, if you know the singer Cab Calloway, it's just like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Or if you read Fathom Comics, um, Aspen's boyfriend's name is Chance Calloway, which is another hmm. cool similarity. Yeah. Hmm. 
But you were just saying too in, in our break that it's usually the first name that gets screwed up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's usually just Chase. I get called Chase by people who've known me for years. And it's just kind of like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and yet you're not a bank. Right, right. I actually bank at Chase, which is hilarious. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand, you know, I think people just have like a different shorthands in, in, in their head of just where they go. So it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, I think that also gets into what we were talking about on the panel at Comic-Con. And our panel was dealing with LGBT and neurodiverse. So as many guests know, I'm dyslexic and I basically consider that it falls under that different brain organization. Mm-hmm. Hence right, again, right. why I screwed up the name. Uh, and this aspect of getting ch- with uh, Chase and Chance, and I don't want to start setting up that connection, <laughs> but it's Chance. So what was it like for you to be on the panel? Oh, that was super exciting for me. Um, similar to you, like that was definitely a bucket list thing for me. I figured one day I'd direct a Batman movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then I'd get invited to Comic-Con and it would be fantastic. And even though I got invited and it was fantastic, I find it amazing that I was invited because of my, you know, my little queer show that could, mm-hmm. um, that put me on the map. That, that is super surreal to me. Um, especially, I don't think we've dropped any new episodes in about four years. Mm-hmm. So the oh, fact pandemic. that, uh, right. Pandemic uh, got in the way of us filming uh, season two. Um, we actually were scheduled to start filming again. Um, <laughs> right when the lockdown happened, I think like a week after lockdown was our first day back on set, but mm-hmm. these things happen. And I was still able to, you know, go to Comic-Con and enjoy myself and, and also sharing space with, with people who had these, I guess, such rich um, inner dialogues that we you know, were able to like, have an outer uh, dialogue together about what real representation is, you know, mm-hmm. whether, it's, you know, whether it's LGBTQIA or whether it's neurodiversity. Um, I think those things are so important, especially as we're moving into this period where like, across the world, there's like this homogeny that's being set where you need to be cisgender and you need to be, you know, heterosexual, you need to be white. And, and in mm-hmm. order to be empowered, you need to be a man. Uh, and it's, we need more examples of just what it's like to have wonderful, diverse forms of thinking and, and backgrounds um, and people being able to interact together and, and have a healthy, if at times uncomfortable um, communion together. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if we really look at the reality of it, is that that's actually more the minority that wants that as the norm. Absolutely. There's a lot more of the rest of us than them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, I think, the most frustrating part. I mean, even with something as, as, uh, as recent as the um, Roe v. Wade, like mm. the majority of Americans did not want that overturned. You know, but it's one subset of people, let alone, I think, what, like just six, six people who actually, who actually did it and affected all of us. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really ridiculous how that happens. And it's such a, my, my goal is to decentralize whiteness and, and to, and to normalize queerness mm-hmm. and all of its bold tapestry. You know, like we shouldn't be afraid of seeing you know, uh, two men having sex on screen. Like that should be just as normal as mm-hmm. anything else. I, I think, I do think we get a, a lot of two women having uh, sex on screen, but it would also be nice getting that from maybe 
a woman's point of view instead of some straight male who wanted to just direct two women having sex on screen. Mm-hmm. You can always tell the difference. You can always tell the difference. Um, but even just beyond, beyond things like, like sex, but I think it's important that we recognize that people who are, who are queer or who are dyslexic or who are trans, who are intersex, who, you know, who have depression, have anxiety, that these people can still function in society. You know, mm-hmm. that it's not, it's nothing debilitating in, in the sense of we're less human than anyone else. So I feel like, I feel like creators like us, especially people who are on the panel, you know, like Robert Rice and, um, mm. and you know, Tara, you know, it's our job to use whatever platform we have to, to normalize, to normalize mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, very much a message about what it means to feel comfortable. I don't know if you had a chance to speak with some of the people after our, uh, after uh, the panel is over, but I know Robert and I had a chance to talk with this one father who was there with his two kids and was so thankful for what we were presenting. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't get to talk to too many people after that panel, um, but I had a second panel that evening where mm-hmm. I had uh, a, a little more time to connect with people. And it is always um, very moving to me when when people are thankful for the stories that, that creators tell. Um, mm-hmm. I've also gotten a lot of emails and DMs from people about my show, um, just out of the blue. I always, when I'm not thinking about it, um, where someone would tell me that some episode um, inspired them to, uh, like, to go reach out to a sibling that they know is queer and just tell them that they have a safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, some of my actors have reached out to me because their friends have said, oh, I saw that you did that show and it showed me that you were an ally. And then they've had friends come out to them because of our show. And I just think that that's really beautiful. And that's the kind of world that I'm trying to create. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that kind of thing makes me very happy. It makes it feel all worth it. <laughs> because I'll just, I'll just sit up sometimes and, you know, think, oh, why did I do that? You know, I self-funded season one, you know, so it was, mm-hmm. it was a lot on my pocket. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually got diagnosed with my, with my mental illness after the show because it was very taxing on my brain. Uh, and, and I, I sometimes I would just stare at the wall and think, why did I do this? <laughs> you know, like I could have just been, I could have just not even approached this and then I'll get a lovely message like that. Mm-hmm. And I'll understand that's why I did this. Gotcha. Uh, and, speak as much as you'd like, but I know this gets into another very much question I have for creators is like, how did your either work help your mental health or has been driven, driving your mental health or brought more of your mental health to the forefront? Cause it sounds like it brought a lot more of your mental health to the forefront. So what's your talk there? Yes. We can just blend this into the myths. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I think something that, that really kind of, I, I didn't understand what was going on after the show ended. I didn't understand I was going through a depressive episode. Um, and I also hadn't realized that I'd been dealing with anxiety for a long time. Uh, I didn't have terms for it. You know, you hear about those things on the news or, you know, in the media and you assume it's, it looks a certain way, you know, depression is someone, you know, in a, in a movie it's depicted very specifically. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand what I was going through. I just felt like an absence of existence. Uh, and when I just knew that something was wrong and I spoke with, um, a help desk, you know, someone who was going to, mm-hmm. who ended up connecting me to, to a therapist. And they use this great metaphor that I, that I understood, which was that 
I throw myself into work and that work is like a refrigerator. Uh, no, not the work is like a refrigerator. Uh, that work is like just all, all the noise, you know, mm-hmm. the traffic, the kids outside playing. Whereas my depression is like a refrigerator. It's mm. there, it's running, it, it's not going anywhere. But then once, once I'm not working, it's like going into the kitchen in the middle of the night and all of a sudden the refrigerator is the loudest thing that you've ever heard. Mm. And, and, and I completely understood that breakdown. I said, oh, yes, because it's hard for me to not work. I, I'm prolific because I overwhelm myself with projects. I'm always working on multiple things all times. Um, and yeah, problem all too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me, I guess it, it, I, I didn't call it this at the time, but it was a way that I was transitioning myself from one place to another without having to risk all the, what I, you know, what felt like darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, whew, once I got diagnosed <laughs> and I was able to sit down with, you know, with a series of doctors for, you know, over the course of the last several years and understand how I interact with, you know, my anxiety and with my depression and, and what I can do to curb it or, and how I can face it. Um, you know, what, how can I feel safe with it? What do I do if I don't feel safe with it? that was so much more encouraging than just me throwing myself into work. I still throw myself into work, but now it's no longer trying to escape something I don't understand about myself. Now it's just because, Oh, well, I like working. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but if I'm not working, it's no longer this, Oh, I'm at the brink. Now it's kind of like, okay, this is how I feel. What do I need to do to manage it? How do you feel that shifted your creativity? I think to use another metaphor, (laughs) uh, when I was learning yoga, I would like, force myself into the poses and my yoga instructor was like, that's not how you do it. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, you're not going to get a medal because you like, you know, you just strong armed your way into this pose. It's about feeling your body and, and, and moving into it. And I feel like creatively, a lot of times I was trying to strong arm my way into creating mm-hmm. like, Oh, I feel down. Let me write something. Let me create something. Let me make something. And instead now it's like, Oh, I feel down. Let me take care of myself first. And then when I feel like I, I'm in a good place, then I can go back to creating. Um, because all that was happening is um, I was calling it almost like a creative postpartum. Because mm-hmm. once a project was finished, I would crash. Because I no longer had that to hold on to. Even though I had other projects, there would always just be this crash because mm-hmm. whatever I had just finished had been you know, top priority, like the center of my existence. And I would just have this crash and, and, and now it's more manageable. You know, mm-hmm. before when I would crash, I didn't understand it. And I would just be in this really dark place. And now I crash and I know, okay, these are the tools I need to do. I need to make sure that I'm getting outside this, <laughs> this many, you know, minutes a day or this many hours a day. And I need to make sure that I'm surrounding myself with friends who understand, who can like help me talk through some things, you know, and mm-hmm. then thankfully there's also therapy. So, <laughs> yeah. Very good. And I think that's a part of the... Yeah. I think it's, again, part of the normalization that we don't get put into material. Who knows? Maybe one of your next projects should involve maybe a talk with more mental health. Hell, maybe one of your characters should be a mental health provider. Ah, Oh, that would be great. (laughs) I have a a friend who's a therapist 
And whenever we're watching shows and this, you know, a, a mental health provider on the show, she's always telling me like, oh, well, you wouldn't say it like that. Or it would be mm-hmm. like this. <laughs> so I know that my depiction would definitely be more authentic because she would not allow me to do anything less than authentic. <laughs> Very much. And, and for those just who are, again, have watched some of the latest stuff that's come out of Marvel, where they thankfully have put mental health providers in there. It's like, no, you would not do that. No, we can't do that. It's like, oh, right. you're not giving us the greatest view when we're already struggling to have this being normalized to come talk to us. Right, right, exactly. And I, and I feel like, uh, I mean, Living Single, I think, had one really nice episode where um, Queen Atipa's character, Khadijah, went to therapy, which, which was great because with Jazz got, yes. I remember exactly. that episode. Yeah, because in the Black community, it's still very, you know, stigmatized. It's like, you know, you've got Jesus. You don't need a doctor, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is so problematic on so many levels. Um, and, and I was glad that it was, uh, you know, the topic was, was broached in, in Living Single. But, then, you know, they never went back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I definitely think it's something that I, I, I've started calling out my character's mental health issues in my scripts mm-hmm. because... You know, I, I got diagnosed after season one of Pretty Dude. So I said, oh, that's what this is. Well, let me call it that. Like, Zario mm-hmm. clearly suffers with depression. <laughs> but I didn't know that that's what it was. I just knew, oh, he's reacting the way that I would react. This feels realistic. This is how I'm writing it. Now I know what it is. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Alexander, he has social anxiety. That's something mm-hmm. that I have, you know, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so I think, um, I think, again, it's important no one else is going to tell us stories but us and i realized that okay these are things that i wish i had seen in media to make me you know to make me maybe step away from entertainment and to actually go look into something well cool that's now my responsibility because now i'm making media so <laughs> let me try to be that branch for someone else that i didn't have mm-hmm. very much so and Looking forward to how you develop more of that in the future, too. Thank you. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'm a, I've got a lot of stuff, you know, I've got a lot of pots uh, currently on the flames. I don't know, I don't know which, which dish is going to be ready first, but uh, right. I'm very excited to share, um, I guess, my, my growth as a person through the growth of my artistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I recall from the panel, it wasn't, you know, it's not just pretty dudes as a, series and web series and so forth and Amazon series you also had books too yes yeah um because these characters <laughs> live in my head like tenants I can't evict um <laughs> when we couldn't Welcome film anymore <laughs> right <laughs> when we couldn't film anymore uh due to the to the COVID-19 pandemic um they were just still bouncing around in my head and there were things I had wanted to do in season two uh like I had wanted to do a church episode and things like that that in the back of my mind, I knew probably were unrealistic because that was going to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, let me just turn this into a book. And then I can incorporate some of the scenes I wasn't able to do, you know, during the show, do so many different things. Uh, also, maybe let you get into the heads of the characters more. So mm-hmm. I was really excited about that. So yeah, I wrote it and I wrote it fast. I think I, because it came out in July of, of 2020. So I think I wrote it in like five months. I mean, it was cheating because I was using, right. I had a scripts. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like it came from nothing. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a, the first novel is out. I'm working on uh, two follow-up novels mm-hmm. um, because if you know how 
you know, no spoilers here, but, you know, the show ends in a very specific, the season one ends in a very specific way. So I want to take the readers uh, on two different paths that they can follow mm. as to what happened at the end. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about, about where it's going because, um, yeah, we're about to start rolling cameras again on season two. Uh, and then I've got, you know, I've got sequel books coming and it's just going to be a world for people just to spend as much time in as they want to for however mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause as I was watching that ending, it's like, this is not going to, as I mean, just again, from the therapist, yeah. saying, this is not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope. nah, it's like, you. in this case, it's also going to be someone getting hurt, but this time it's not a gay person that's getting hurt. It's or causing yeah. it. It's how does this now yeah. disrupt the entire sense of their relationship? Not to mention also, because I want to briefly, before we get out of here, talk about what happened with Ellington. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yes. Um, not just so much what happened was going on with him and Callie, but Mandy. Yes. Yeah. That was actually, so Ellington was the one character that I, that I knew I wanted to cast very race specific, Mm -hmm. um, because of that storyline, because I, I had my own experiences with, uh, interracial relationships. And, uh, I was always very shocked when the other person we'll just say maybe was ignorant um, or, or racist in a uh, unintentionally malicious way or mm-hmm. maybe just an unintention, unintentional way. Um, and so I wanted to depict that on screen, of course, using humor to kind of couch the, uh, I guess the darkness of it. Um, and that probably got some of the most responses I got from straight and queer people alike, where I was getting so many messages of, oh my gosh, this happened to me, you know, oh, this was me in college, this was me, you know, and it's unfortunate that a lot of us have the same experience, but um, I really, that's, that's why I wanted to tell that story. You know, I, I was in a date with a guy once and he started talking about, um, about how I didn't have the accent and I asked him what, what accent, like thinking, oh, you mean mm-hmm. like Georgia, you know, and he said, you know, the black people accent. <laughs> I just kind of sat there for a moment, like wondering where the, where the prank camera was. Like, did he just say, I don't have the black accent? I don't even know what that is because mm-hmm. someone who's black from Chicago in the suburbs talks someone different from like someone black in the city. You know, like there's no one, people in the same house don't talk the same. So I was just kind of like, are we really having this conversation right now? Oh, it's funny yeah. to me now. It wasn't funny in the moment at all. <laughs> oh, it never is when those moments come up. And even more so in the situations when Ellington is finally clicking on those yeah. things. And it's just like, uh, yeah. And then there's a combination, which I know, I think Alexander brought it up is like, I really hope he was wearing a condom at that particular <laughs> time. Cause I'm not looking forward. And there's certain regards that I sort of see too from my work. It's like, yeah, you really wish you were probably wearing a condom now as you reflect on this. And right. Right. Because some, sometimes if you think about the ignorance of maybe your romantic or sexual partner, then you have to also think about what family are they coming from? You know, if you, if you're planning on starting a life with this person, how many other ignorant or even maybe maliciously racist people are you inviting into your, into your life for the rest of your life? And so, into any child that you have. Exactly. Life. Exactly. And yeah, so it's just watching what was going on with his characters. It's like, oh, wow. Not to mention, it's like, 
were you thinking of the term Karen when you were writing Mandy or was that just a byproduct of the fact of the time it came out? <laughs> it's, the, it's a, that's a byproduct. I think, um, I, I did make one allusion to uh, the I was told by Apple Care lady, um, <laughs> but that was definitely pre, that was before we had a word for it, you know? Um, so yeah, because I think what it was like, we had Becky first, thanks mm-hmm. to Beyonce, and then, then all of a sudden, then it was Karen, and now, you know, that was a whole subset. But Mandy definitely is a type of like well-meaning white person that I think a lot of us have encountered who, who verge on fetishization Mm-hmm. of anything that that is not white you can even mm-hmm. see it in her earlier conversations with zario mm-hmm. where she's you know she's doing the whole like the th for the for the for the s you know in words when she's speaking spanish and talking about some guy who she thinks is documented it's kind of like this is not how to approach any of this mandy um, but we all know those people i have i have people and you have to decide okay how close are we can i check you can i check you right now or do i need to like <laughs> go cool off and then come back and maybe have a conversation or is it just not going to be worth my time? There are people yeah. like that where it's like, you're not going to learn anything if I try to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actress who plays Mandy, uh, Stacy Snyder, she's amazing. <laughs> she's, she's nothing like her character, but she gets that character. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, that's why she brought so much <laughs> realism to that performance. <laughs> and as soon as you yell cut, it was just kind of this moment of, wow, you, I believed you were real for a second. <laughs> well, especially that scene with uh, where she was cutting up the apple and Ellington walks in. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, flashback to misery. Flashback to um, um, yeah. Oh, frack, I'm completely forgetting the movie with um, uh, uh, Michael Douglas and yes, and Glenn Close, uh, Fatal Attraction. Yes, yes, yes that one. yeah, yeah. Just like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, she's she's so good. I mean. When we filmed that scene, I mean, uh, Xavier Avila, who played Ellington, he actually won uh, some awards for his performance mm-hmm. in the show. So those two on screen together was just always electrifying. And that, yeah, that scene with the apple, <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so I jump still when I watch it. <laughs> and I even, I know those moments are coming. I'm like, whoa, whoo, she's scary. <laughs> Very I much so. Yeah. So we should be going ahead and wrapping up. Where can people find more of Pretty Dudes, more of your work that they want to continue to take in and think about? Absolutely. Uh, Pretty Dudes is available. Um, you can watch the first season on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, and if you want to watch some additional episodes, the second season is by no means ready yet, but there are additional mm-hmm. episodes available on my streaming service, Stupid Ambitious. Uh, because we did film some things before the pandemic that mm-hmm. I just kind of cobbled together. Um, if you want more of me, easiest way is just to go to chancecalloway.com. Uh, I'll be posting all of my projects uh, there as they are completed. I'm separated between on the page, on the screen, and on record, because mm-hmm. I also do some singing. And, uh, oh yeah, and then, and then um, I have a duet with AJ Raphael uh, called I Know Him So Well. Uh, that's available on all streaming p- platforms and the music video is out now. So nice. go check it out. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, Chance, thank you for being here and looking forward to following more of your stuff. And folks, this is Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. So go check out Pretty Dudes and, <laughs> and laugh as much as we've been laughing too. <laughs> and thank you, Perry. Thank you so much for inviting me. Not a problem. Glad I could provide it. So, 
stay tuned for our next episode on here on voice america network have a good one folks thank you for tuning in for untying knots minds and souls untethered be sure to join your host perry clark for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the voice america empowerment channel